the Sunday Sermons Podcast. This is the second increment in a series called 316. And just in case you missed it last week, or just to remind us so we know where we're starting here, this is not about any kind of a secret mathematical Bible code or anything. It just so happens that several of the foundational truths that we're exploring this uh, in this season are found in chapter 3, verse 16, for some reason, in book after book. And that, I hope, will make it a little bit easier for everybody to remember. And you go, where was that again? I'd like to show that to somebody else, and I hope that'll help. Not all of them, obviously, but a bunch of them are. That's where the title comes from. But what we're really, again, looking at here is the foundational truths. Foundational truths are the ones that everything else builds on. They're the ones that, that's, that's what, if you assume that, then you then everything else makes sense. The best way I know to explain that is uh, through my experience with soccer. I grew up overseas. I played a lot of soccer. Of course, they call it football. It's very competitive. <laughs> it, 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 very competitive over there. It, it, if The person who's the goalie is the best goalie, period. You know what I'm saying? The strikers are the best strikers. Defenders are the best defenders. It's all about scoring more goals and winning. That's it. That's the whole, that's it, Okay. Come to America, fast forward several years, I, I, late 90s, I've got several small sons. I, I want to be a good dad, a good person in the community, so I volunteer to coach ASO soccer. Some of you are already laughing because you might know this story, or you know that ASO is built on a completely different foundation. ASO is great, by the way. I like ASO. I support it. It's a great idea. But the whole point of ASO is to give everybody a turn. The kid who gets to play the goalie is whoever's turn it is to be the goalie. Are you with me? And everybody gets snacks at the end. It's just to introduce the game. Okay? I, I got to tell you, I struggled hard. <laughs> because I, I, I lost almost every game I coached. And that is just, I was building on a different foundation. I had to get out. That's a confession. I'm not bragging. But here's the thing. As Christians, we build everything on the teachings of Jesus and on the word of God. And if we build on any other foundation, it just doesn't work. Uh, We have a lot of overlap between other religions, this idea and this idea here and there. We have overlap with even people who are atheists or believe in other kinds of philosophy. There's some good ideas that are just good. There's some truths out there that are just true, period, no matter who says them. But at the end of the day, as Christians, we base what we believe on Jesus Christ himself and on his word, period. And that's what we're exploring together. Jesus said that whoever hears his word and put it into practice is like a wise man who built his house on bedrock. And the the rains come, the floods come up, and the house stands firm. Whoever does not hear his word or does not hear his word and does not put it into practice is like somebody who builds on sand. It's not that they're a bad builder. The problem is the foundation. Does that make sense? Are we we tracking so far? All right. I know you've heard this before, but today we're exploring a a passage where Paul is talking about the seismic shift in what people build on, the foundations of how people believe, how people decide what's right or wrong, and encouraging his young protege, Timothy, to make sure he keeps building on the scripture. That's where we're going today. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5 says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 
And the last days, by the way, are all the days leading up to when Jesus comes back. But I, I believe for a lot of reasons we're getting closer and closer, okay? Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good. By the way, that means what God calls good. Treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Now to be, just be totally clear, this is not, Paul is not telling him to not reach out to people who are not believers and not spend any time with them. He's telling him, don't ally yourself within the church with people who are building on a different foundation than Christ and his word. Don't, as you're building this church, Timothy, don't put people in leadership that are all about themselves instead of about Christ and his word. Does that make sense? He's not saying you can't associate with anybody who does that. That's that's where we all naturally lean without Jesus, and that's the world that Jesus told us to go and reach. But he's saying that's not okay within the church. We build on a different foundation. So he goes on and he warns him about some specifically, strategically evil people that are going to try to infiltrate the church as well. We've all seen that happen in many times over the centuries and even recently. And then he comes to these three verses, one of which is 3.16, as you probably were expecting. But let's start with 3.14. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those whom you have heard learned I'm sorry, you know those from whom you have learned it, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, it all depends on Jesus. It's a hundred percent on him. But one more thing to clarify. I'm clarifying a lot because these days it's it's so easy to misunderstand. I want to make sure we understand this. This verse that we just read and the one we're about to read, he uses the Greek word graphe. It just means writings. But he's not just talking about random writings. It's the same way that we would use the word God and we put a capital G on it and we know we're talking about the one true God, right? So in, in Greek, when they say the writings, they're talking about the scriptures. In Hebrew, they would call it either the Tanakh, which is kind of an acronym for all the different parts of the Old Testament, or they would call it the Torah, which basically means the way of righteousness. But when Paul wrote this, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's telling Timothy, don't throw out all the stuff you already know. Don't throw out all of the Old Testament stuff that you and even Jesus grew up reading and memorizing. That's all still important. And we believe on the other side of the New Testament being completed, that that also applies to the whole New Testament. I, I hope you believe that. I do with all my heart. But I just want to be, it's worth noting that when Paul wrote this himself, he's talking about the Old Testament. He's writing the New Testament in real time. Does it, does it make sense? Just so we're thinking clearly about how this works. But in that context, listen to what he tells him. This is where we're going to marinate today. This is where I hope it just gets as practical as possible. You don't need to hear me talk, but if this somehow influences your life, all my prayers will be answered. 
2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's talk first about what it means that all scripture is breathed out by God. And by the way, in your bulletin, or if you're joining us online, you have it digitally accessible somewhere. But there's an outline. If you're somebody who learns better by writing things down, it should be pretty easy. We just said all the answers out loud with that one verse. But we're going to say this one together. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's a beautiful image. It means at least two main things. Paul's using this phrase very deliberately. First of all, he's talking about, it's a call back to Genesis when God creates everything. And Genesis 2, 7, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. What he's saying is the word of God, the scriptures, they have been imbued with the the life essence, the character of God himself. When you interact with God's word, you are interacting with an image of God, a part of God himself. You're interacting somehow or another. You're, you're, you're really connecting with who God is. Uh, humans are really different than God in a lot of ways, and his image gets twisted and broken in so many ways. But deep down, we're made in his image. This idea of breathed out is very similar. God breathed his essence into the scriptures. The other idea that, there's there's more, but the other core idea that we've got to really get if we're going to fall in love with the scriptures again or more than ever is this. Breathing is in and out. It's interactive. God's word is designed to be interactive. Not that we get to change it, not that we get to influence it or we get to make him change his mind. That's not on the table. But the real power is when we study it with his spirit helping out, when we study it together, when we come together in big groups like this or in smaller groups and we interact with it, we pray about it, we think about it, we figure out how we're going to build on that foundation. This interactive thing is part of the inspiration. It's designed to be lived. This is really serious this morning. Are you guys, are are we still good? Everybody still awake? We got this? Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Just a couple of facts. Are there anybody here that likes history besides me? Ah, let's go. This is your favorite part. Everybody else hold on because it's important that you know this whether you like it or not. The Bible is actually written by at least 40 human authors. Obviously, with God's help, with the inspiration, breathing it out through them. But there was a bunch of people involved over well over a thousand years. It's an absolute miracle that this book has so much unity in it because it's it couldn't have happened. It was written in two primary languages. There's a couple of passages that were originally in Aramaic, but by and large, it's Hebrew in the Old Testament, Greek in the New Testament. In Jesus's day, you could hear the scripture two ways. One was if you wanted to look it up and read it on your own, there was a Greek translation known as the Septuagint. That was a little bit more available than the other. But the way they primarily would interact with God's word is they would go to the synagogue and they would get out the scrolls and they would read in the original Hebrew. That was it. There weren't any books, weren't any websites, there weren't any apps. 
There wasn't anything else. You had to really work to hear the word of God, but it was worth it. And it wasn't too long, about several centuries later, they translated all of the scripture, not only into about 500 other languages that we know for sure, but they translated it into Latin. And for some reason, that became the official translation. And that derailed a whole bunch of things in history, and I'm not going to go into that, but it got to the point where people only read the Bible in Latin and nobody actually spoke Latin. Does that sound like a problem? So you go to church and all the, all, the, all the readings are in Latin. Nobody has any idea what's going on. Nobody's actually reading God's word. And it's designed to be interacted with. It's designed to be studied. It's designed to have God's spirit working with you one-on-one and in small groups and in big groups. And that got taken away for a while. In the 1200s, 1300s, we finally started getting more translations made. Not just kind of, I think it means this, translating from the Latin, because we all know like copies of copies don't work that right, right? So they started going back to the Hebrew, going back to the Greek, and translating. And ever since then, all the reputable translations that we have in any, any language anywhere comes from them. So just to get as practical as possible, I, I would like to encourage you... Uh, one of the missions that we believe in, the, the mission that my parents worked with for years and years called Pioneer Bible Translators. If you believe that everybody deserves to have God's word, I would love for you to pray for them on a regular basis and maybe consider becoming a Bible translator. It's very important that everybody has access to God's word in their own language. But Pioneer Bible Translators and all other reputable translators today, they always go back to the original languages and they translate from there. Also, to get really practical, let me say this. Um, you have access today to more than anybody has ever had in all of history. At the tips of your fingers and in your back pocket, you can reach BibleGateway.com, which will take you to almost every English translation there is and lots of other study resources. You can go to BibleHub.com, which has a bunch of that same stuff, but it also has access to the original languages and even interlineal interlineal translation so you can study word by word and really find out what those words really mean or track them throughout the scripture. In your phones, you have access to what they call the Bible app or technically it's called version. It's free. It's made available by lifechurch.tv to the entire world. It's in almost every language there is. The translation mom and dad did over in Papua New Guinea is in that app. I still read it sometimes. It, you can read it you have access to God's word. And if you want to really study it, you want to dig deep and you want to know the original, you want to re- why do they translate differently in this verse, this version and this version? You can find that out really easily today. And I encourage you to do that. But again, ultimately it comes down to interacting with God himself through his spirit. I love the story of the road to Emmaus. After Jesus had come back to life, he was kind of little by little disappearing to different ones of his disciples. And two of them were walking along the road on their way to this place called Emmaus. And Jesus appears to them and starts walking with them. It's a really mysterious story because the Bible doesn't explain why they didn't recognize him at first. And I wish it did, but it doesn't. There's some theories. I've got a couple. I'm not going to share them this morning because they're only theories. It just says they didn't recognize him. That's all we know for sure until he started breaking the bread over the meal. 
But the whole way, this is what we know for sure. Luke 24, 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus spent time walking them through the entire Old Testament, helping them see how it all pointed to him. This is what the Spirit does. This is what other Christians who also have the Spirit do together. God willing, that's what's happening this morning as you listen to me do my best to share what I believe God gave me to share. But God walks us through his scripture. So it's God breathed. It's also profitable for teaching. For teaching. Now, that's a scary word. Especially if you're not especially gifted or skilled as a teacher. There, in the scripture, there is a spiritual gift of teaching where the Holy Spirit makes somebody effective at teaching whether it, it makes sense or not. Uh, they, they just, when they talk, people understand it somehow, okay? That's one thing. A lot of us have worked really hard to build up our skills at teaching. We study how people learn. We work really hard. But a lot of you don't and don't care about it and wish you never had to go to school and I love you and so does Jesus and that's okay. Here's what, here's what I'd love for you to know, though. Every one of us is called to teach in one way or another. You don't have to stand in front of people and teach, but with your lifestyle, just wherever you are, whatever you're doing, as, as you get chance, you're called to teach. For one thing, the Great Commission says to all disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, to obey all the things that I have commanded you and I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's all of us. One way or another, we've got to be involved in that process. In the Old Testament, you see uh, that it always wasn't just about classrooms either. Uh, He's talking to, Moses is talking to parents about teaching their children the law. And he says this, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, it goes on. You've probably heard that passage. But he's saying, this, just make a part of your life. This is, this is who you are. This is what you do. You're teaching all the time by example and occasionally with words. In Colossians, you guessed it, 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word that we translate dwell is important as well. It it, it means, I think a better word would be thrive. It can be translated live, dwell, rule, a lot of different things, but it's a a full kind of a life. Uh, It's not just being alive. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts toward God. Second Peter 3, verses 14 through 16. You have to squint just a little bit to see what I'm showing you today, but this is actually one of my favorites in this whole passage today. What's happening, just so you know, Peter is writing letters to churches just like Paul is. And if there were ever anybody... Two guys who are more different, fundamentally speaking, it's Peter and Paul. Paul was being groomed to be one of the greatest of the Pharisees, possibly even the leader of the Pharisees. 
He's never named or mentioned explicitly in the scripture till the beginning part of Acts. But there's a good chance that he was actually involved in some of the stuff with Jesus, that he was part of that team that got him killed. We don't really know for sure, but that was where he was going. Peter is an uneducated man who is following Jesus around, making all kinds of mistakes, but living right next to Jesus Christ himself for three years. It's a miracle that they had anything to say that was even close to the same thing. It's a miracle that these guys even got along at all. And we know from the story in Acts that they didn't always get along. But here's what he says. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, and he's talking about the return of Christ, he, like Paul, is talking about the last days, living in the last days in this passage. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with the other scriptures. So much goodness in here. You see that teamwork I just described. And also this is one of the places where you see them starting to call these new writings, these new letters, scripture as well. He calls it the other scriptures. He's referring to the Old Testament and the writings of Paul. Gives it a little bit of authority. We still tracking? This is a pretty deep one today, guys. So I, I'm, I'm really proud of you that you're just hang, hanging with me. There's not a lot of jokes, not a lot of funny stories. We're just going for it. But this is what it means. This is what, this is what it means to really build on the foundation of God's word. We understand that it's breathed out by God himself. And that it's something that we're all called to not only live, but to even teach each other. And that it's useful for reproof and for correction. That we measure our success or our failure not against each other or against popular opinion or against whatever accepted church doctrine or whatever else. We measure it against God's word. The ultimate measuring stick is always back there. And if some of us get it wrong, we get it wrong because we we get it unbiblical. Are you with me? If we get it right, we get it right, not because everybody likes it or thinks it's so cool or so profound, but because it's in accordance with God's word. And we've got to keep learning. We've got to keep growing. We've got to keep finding, uh, studying, being humble enough to say, what if we are wrong about something? And, and what, what else do we not know yet? We, we've got to keep growing in this. It's an ongoing process. We've got to be humble enough that if we're ever wrong, we let ourselves be corrected. Philippians 3.16, Paul says, but only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, keep building on the foundation of Christ's word. Matthew 5.17, Jesus himself says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, to fulfill them. And that word fulfill is another one that we don't have a good one in English. Fulfill is a pretty good attempt, but it doesn't just mean fulfill in the sense like it fulfills a prophecy. Like Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. He comes into Jerusalem on a donkey. He fulfilled the prophecy. It's deeper than that. It's more about like what you set out to do actually happens. 
okay? It's kind of like if you're in ASO, everybody got a turn and you have snacks. You have fulfilled the purpose of ASO. Or anywhere else in the world playing soccer or football, you win the game. You have fulfilled the purpose of that game. Are, are you with me on this? Does that make sense? It, it, to fulfill it, Jesus is saying, I have come to accomplish, to make possible everything that had come before me was pointing to. I'm making it happen. I'm making it possible for you guys to do this. And he prays that we'd be sanctified. So many huge words. I apologize, but here it is. This is a Christian word. You don't hear it outside anymore. But sanctified means you are being changed little by little by constantly interacting with God's word, constantly interacting with God's spirit, constantly interacting with God's people. Little by little, you don't just get forgiven for your sins. You become a righteous person. That's called sanctification. And Jesus prayed this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In Hebrews 4, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see the idea of it being something we breathe and live? Isaiah 48 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If you read that passage in context, it's, it's kind of a humbling kind of a passage. The grass can mean several things, but one of those things is it's us. Our lives and all of our big ideas and dreams come and go like grass on the ground. But God's word is the ultimate authority. God's word is what we all measure ourselves against. God's word is what we have to keep coming back to. That's what it's... That's why it's good for correction. Here's the last thing that Paul says specifically that God's word is good for, for training in righteousness. Now, righteousness throughout the scripture, that term means the stuff God calls right, not the stuff that we call right, because that can change. Are you with me? Depending on what foundation you're building on, we could call a lot of different things right or wrong for a lot of different reasons. Everybody thinks they're right about something and wrong. everybody else is wrong about something. It all depends on what foundation you're building on. But when we're building on God's word, righteousness is not what everybody agrees is right within a church or a small group or a family or the world or America or wherever you're, whatever group you're talking about. It's what God says is right. Does that make sense? And that's what we find in God's word is what God says is right. And how do we get better at that? By training. Training is something you do over and over. It's a relentless, focused, ongoing cycle of not only study, but practice. If you want to get better at soccer, for example, you've got to practice. That's one of the things I do love about ASO. Everybody gets to try it and you run all the plays, you at least learn those skills, Right? But you learn it. You have to learn anything you've ever done. Learn how to read or ride a bike or literally anything you've ever learned how to do. You, you have to study it and you have to practice it. You have to do both. And this is how we study God's word. This is how we live it. We do it over and over and over again. Ephesians 6, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, you're giving them opportunities to not only study, but practice what God's word says. Psalm 18.34, we see it's a metaphor, but I, I think it might have also been literal because David was actually a warrior. We know for sure it's a metaphor about this interacting with God in a training way. He says, he trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. Any archers out there? Anybody? Ever tried that? You're used to a bow, maybe a 50 pound or something, and then you try to pull a 150 pound. It's a whole nother thing. You know what I'm talking about? That's why he's talking about. You don't just automatically do that. You've got to, this should be easy. What do you have to do? Yes, yes. You got to train, you got to practice, you got to study how to do it, and you got to do it over and over and over. And eventually you're good. And he said, God trains me. I love that. Hebrews 10 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We live in the last days as in the days that are approaching the day. And all the more as you see that approaching, it's more important than ever that we prioritize being Together And hear me on this because one more time, we're going to just go back over this scripture thing one more time. And I hope it sticks and I hope you do something about it. I hope it literally changes your life. But hear me on this. This is not about judgment. This is not about guilt or shame. We don't study God's word because I want to be a good Christian and good Christians, they at least study the Bible a little bit. We don't study God's word because some other Christians are going to ask us if we did and we don't want to look bad. We don't study God's word because it's some sort of a ritual. We study God's word for all of these reasons we're talking about. And the same thing for why we meet together. You don't come to church just because it's the right thing to do. You come to church because we need each other. We need fellowship. We need to meet around the table together. We need to give and to pray and to explore God's word together. We need it in big groups. We need it in small groups. We need it in smaller groups. We need accountability. It's how we're made. It's how we're designed. It's part of the image of God in us. It's not about guilt. It's not about shame. It's not about legalism. It's a gift that God has given us that we, at least right this minute here in America, have freedom to do this. That's why we do that. That's why we meet together And that's why we study God's word. So one more time, it's easier than ever to study it. I'm going to put these on the screen one more time. We also offer you something called Right Now Media. Uh, If you go to our website, morrisonhill.com, go over to the right, walk you through it. Don't worry, you'll find it. But under resources, the top of that page is a free subscription to rightnowmedia.com. It's kind of like Netflix. Disney Plus, any other streaming service that you're familiar with, except there's endless Bible studies and Bible study helps and cool stuff to empower your kids to know God's word. Super cool stuff. You get that for free. 
you can subscribe for free. A lot of times if you come to a Sunday school class or a small group or a home group, a growth group of any kind here, we're using some of those curriculum. You can watch those same things at home, on your phone. You can, in anywhere there's internet, you've got access to that. That's one of our gifts to you. And once again, there's also Bible Gateway, Bible Hub, the Bible app. And we have printed Bibles too. We still use those. We have some we'd give away. We have a bunch of copies of the scripture that we'd love to just hand you. And that would be great too. They're pretty easy to find those as well. Again, I'm not telling you that I don't think anybody here studies the Bible. I know some of you guys do. Some of you probably study even more than I do. And it's part of my job. But brothers and sisters, here's why I'm telling you. This is what we do especially in the last days, especially as the day approaches, it's absolutely crucial that we keep coming back to God's word, that we allow it to to shape us and to train us and to correct us when necessary, that we allow God to breathe into us and us to breathe in and out together as we marinate in what he's telling us. And that's what these scriptures are about. Would you say uh, 2 Timothy 3 uh, 14 through 16 with me. Let's, let's start with these two and then we'll say that verse. If you would, let's say it together. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And again, he does this for all of us. That's why we meet together, but I love this one. This is just one more verse of hope before we totally wrap up this morning. When the spirit of truth comes, this is Jesus himself talking. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You really want to know God? You really want to know the truth? You really want to experience the power that's available? Study God's word. And his own spirit, the Holy Spirit of God himself, will walk you through that. That's the hope that we have. That's what it looks like to build on the authority of the scripture. Jesus said, whoever hears his word and puts it into practice is like like a wise person who builds on a firm foundation. I encourage you to do whatever God is telling you to do this morning as we stand, as we sing.